that is, um, you know, this is something we're talking about. Let's stop pretending, starting a new series uh, for the next four weeks about relationships. And my name's uh, Bob Kedlisic. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And this is one of the things that is huge in our culture, um, the opposite of that. And it's authenticity, right? We hate fakeness. And yet more and more, there's, there's increasing ways of how to be fake and how to be fake even more quickly. And, and, you know, AI can fake photos so well, you know, and so quickly and, and all sorts of other things that you can post about yourself or pretend. And uh, most of us are just tired of it, right? We're tired of faking. And so we're going to look at a verse in scripture today that basically starts with, don't just pretend and see what it says. And the reason we're looking at the Bible is this is a church and I am an individual who believes that God's word is 100% true and it should be the rule and practice of our lives. This is, this is from God and something that it tells us how we need to live. But even if you don't believe that, you have to admit that the Bible is an intriguing book. It's been translated over 10 times more languages than any other book in all of human history. The New Testament's been translated into over 2,400 languages. It's been printed more than almost any, not almost any, than any other book. In fact, the Bible is actually a library of 66 books, and all of them are bestsellers. And so, you know, I think it's appropriate that we look to it to see what it says, even if you don't believe in it, about relationships and how we can have better relationships and how we can stop pretending in those relationships. And um, one of the things that um, I think uh, we need to recognize about our world is something I would call chronological snobbery. And I get that from someone else. But it's the fact that because of technology, we are better today at a lot of things than human beings have ever been in history, right? We're better at farming. I looked up how many people it took to basically run a 65 to 100 acre farm during Roman times. 16 people, a 100 acre farm. I mean, today, it's, we're so much better. We're so much more efficient. Transportation today, so much better at that. Cooking, we got ovens, we got microwaves, we got all sorts of things today. We're so much better at so much stuff. We are literally superhuman through technology. We can fly in a plane. We can, we can uh, you know, lift you know, a car, if you got a big enough, you know, bucket loader, you know, whatever those things are called. You know, we can, we can do superhuman things through technology, but there's one thing that technology hasn't helped us do better than people in the ancient world or people even decades ago, and that's relationships. In fact, studies have shown that there has been, that the average number of friends that people had 50 years ago was multiple times larger than the number of friends that people have today both men and women. And, and would anyone say that dating is actually easier today than it was 50 years ago? Like, no way, yeah, ugh. Like, you know, there's all this extra stuff. What does that mean? Like, he liked my photo. What does that mean? Maybe nothing. Maybe something. Maybe, oh, who knows? Who knows what it means? And so, so when we think about relationships, I think one of the things we need to do is go old school. And learn and stop being snobbish about people from ages past and what they knew and, and learn from them. And, and so we're going really old school. We're going Bible about relationships. And, and so we're going to take a time machine 
to um, Romans chapter 12, 57 AD is when that was written. Paul was writing to a, a church in Rome, Italy, and uh, that, that there's like a lot of Christians in Rome today, but the church then was probably the size of the church here today. And um, as he wrote them, here's what he said about relationships. He said, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Now, there's a disconnect, I think, in a lot of our heads when we read that. Because if, if, if I wasn't going to put this part up, and I told you, don't just pretend to love others, what would that mean? I mean, you'd be honest and say, yeah, I don't. You know what, Gene, you drive me nuts, right? Not, not really, I love Gene. So, and that reminds me, our best greeters, okay? We got people at the doors, guest services, they're called, or something like that. There's some nice name for it, you know. But basically, they greet people as they come in, and Gene is one of our best. But our, our legendary, best of all time, is a man by the name of Sam Miner. Okay, how many of you remember Sam from the old building? Yeah, yeah, lots of people. His birthday's today. He's 55 years old. So, um, and he's down at Allied, and we're doing a birthday card shower for him. And so if you are on our Bridgewater Montrose Facebook page, the address is in one of the posts there. If you're not on that, you can talk to me or any one of his family members afterward. Send a card. He is not doing well. Uh, one of the most aggressive forms of multiple sclerosis. And um, so be praying for Sam. And, but I tell you what, what, what a smiling, loving, one, one of the only greeters ever better than Gene. But um, you're number two. But just don't pretend. So if there's someone particularly annoying and you, hear, and you hear someone say, just don't pretend to love others, our typical response is, oh, so I need to tell them how I really feel. <laughs> I'm apathetic towards you. I hate you. You disgust me. You know. But then the next sentence is the exact opposite of that. Really love them. And we're like, but how can I do that? Because I feel awful when I see this person. And it's because this is, and I've talked about this before, but this is the greatest victory and the greatest, most demonic thing that Satan has ever been able to accomplish, I think, in America or the English language. And that is the redefinition of the word love to mean the exact opposite of what love actually means in the Bible. Because, because love has come to mean a feeling. You can look it up in Oxford's dictionary. You can look it up in Webster's dictionary. You can look it up on Google's dictionary. And the number one definition and the number two definition and the number three definition is a feeling, a romantic feeling, a, a familial feeling with, with other family members of appreciation and attachment and, and a, a feeling of uh, great, you know, desire toward a sports team. There is, I think, a sporting event tonight. And some people will say, I love, right? Whatever. That's Love is not a feeling when the Bible talks about love most of the time. In fact, if love is a feeling, it means the exact opposite because then it's self-centered and me-centered, right? And so you say, well, well so what do you mean? So the, the world would say, you know, I just don't love you anymore, right? I fell out of love and I don't have a feeling for you anymore and I need to be honest and stop pretending. Whereas the Bible says, no, it's not that at all. Because if love is a feeling, then it's inherently selfish. Why am I nice to you? Well, because I feel good when I'm nice to you. Is, is that the closest synonym to the word, the biblical, the virtue of love 
in our language today is unselfishness. In fact, if we put that in there, this makes complete sense. Don't just pretend to act unselfishly. Really act unselfishly. Be unselfish toward others. Well, that makes complete sense. And that's what he's talking about here. And so you might say, well, but if I feel really good about being unselfish towards someone, does that mean I don't love them? No, it just means that's the smallest fruit fly-sized love. See, the world says that's the highest pinnacle of love, right? When you're dating and there's this romance and it's so easy to do nice things for that person. I remember dating Becky and, you know, take her out to eat, spend that money. I wasn't like, man, this is an expensive restaurant. No, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I feel good treating her good. And the world says that's the pinnacle of love. Doesn't get any better than that. And the Bible says, no, that's like little fruit fly-sized love. And it's still love because you're being unselfish, but greater love is when, when you love someone and you don't have feelings toward them. This is why babies are cute, right? Because if I threw up all over your shirt, you wouldn't be like, aww. You'd be like, Dude, like, clean it. Like, what is your problem? Why are you out of the house if you're sick? But, you know, you're burping a baby. And you're like, oh, and you look, and they got this little smile. And you're like, oh, you know, I guess a new shirt on, you know. God has programmed and designed babies to be cute so that we have these feelings. So it doesn't really take much love to be unselfish towards babies. But we all know, and I was talking to some parents earlier, and their baby, you know, the first couple of weeks, you have these cute little cries. And then, man, they get lungs. Holy cow, it's amazing. How can something that tiny be that loud and annoying? And sometimes that, that, that feel-good love wears off. And that's where real motherly, fatherly, brotherly, or sisterly, or stranger love comes in. Right, Because I don't feel any great feelings about this child except that it's depriving me of sleep and I don't feel very good about that. But I'm still going to be unselfish and do what's best for this baby. Why? Because I virtue love even though I don't feel in love. And many times those things are exact opposites. In fact, earlier in this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing, he talks about what does great love look like? And in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There's a saying, and I, I try not to get it wrong, but love, right, hate the sin and love the sinner, right? God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And that is true. But let me tell you what is also true. God hates the sin, and God hates the sinner. Because you cannot separate sin from a sinner, right? There's no such thing as theft without a thief, or murder without a murderer, or adultery without an adulterer, or a liar, you know, lying without a liar. There, you know, sin is not this weird, misty, black stuff that just squirrels in the air around us. Sin 
is always something a sinner does. And do you think when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down at those people who were mocking and spitting on him and was like, aw, they're just so cute. No. He was disgusted by not only them, but by us. And honestly, I know what I've done in my life. And a bunch of it is disgusting. And God looks at that and He hates us because we're sinners, but then loves us at the same time. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He, he, he doesn't have these wonderful emotions all the time directed toward us, you know, and warms His heart and all of that, but He chooses just like this. He says, I'm not, and He's not pretending to love us. He really does love us. And he acts in our best interest, even when it hurts him, even when it's hard for him, not because he has wonderful glowing feelings, but because he's a good and righteous God. And he puts our best in front of what's, what, what he, you know, is maybe the easiest thing for him. Um, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And it goes on, and you know, you know, along the same lines, I've said this before, you need to, this needs to just be in your head. Don't follow your heart. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Walt Disney and all that, follow your heart, dumb. God gave us a brain for a reason. Okay, don't follow your emotions. You need to pay attention to your emotions. Emotions are very important. Don't hear me saying, stuff your emotions, ignore your emotions. No, emotions are great like warning sensors. Sometimes you're talking to someone, you don't even know them well, and there's something going whoop, whoop, whoop. Like, pay attention to that. It may be, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but, you know, there, there are times where your emotions are telling you, they're putting things together subconsciously that your conscious mind doesn't even grasp, and you need to pay attention to your emotions but don't let them lead you. If your life is constantly being led by your emotions, I guarantee you, you have a life of chaos and selfishness. That's the exact opposite of love. So don't follow your heart. I'm gonna, I got a slide for this later, but I wanna say it now so you don't. Um, love doesn't care about your feelings. Doesn't that sound like the exact opposite? Wait, what? No, wait a minute. No, that, that, that's, that's actually true. And he's saying here, don't just pretend to love others. Don't, don't look within you about loving others. In fact, here's a great statement by one of my favorite authors, Clive. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Don't, don't look within yourself about your feelings about your neighbor. Okay, so you, you despise your neighbor. So your neighbor's really annoying. Maybe this is, maybe, you know, neighbor is shorthand in, in the Bible for anyone, right? Jesus said, everyone you need to love, everyone who's your neighbor. So this could be your boss. Your boss maybe it's an employee of yours, you know? And don't, don't examine your, your emotions, like understand what you feel, but... But just act in love toward them. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. We know this is true of children. 
when you act in their best interests, even when they're super annoying, your love over time actually deepens. And this is, this is not necessarily 100% true of everyone, but I think it's generally true. And I have experienced this myself. An annoying man who I, I hated what he did. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He, you know, he was so arrogant. And I started praying for him. I started trying to see, how can I have nice conversations with him? And the first thing I noticed, feeling-wise, is I started to pity him. And that was an improvement from revulsion, right? And so, not always, but many times, our feelings will follow our actions. And so, that, that, that's where he's saying, you know what, just choose to love these people. And so, if there's one thing talking about, you know, how we can improve our relationships and how to tell maybe a litmus test of, is this a good, healthy relationship? Am I responding? Am I being the person that I need to be in this relationship? Whether it's a marriage, whether you're dating, whether it's, it's, it's a boss, an employee, I think a, a good rule of thumb is it's at the, the end of this verse. It says, hate what is wrong, hold lightly what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Okay, because of the confusion about what the word love really means, I don't want you to write down that love is the one thing, and, and it is, but love comes out, it says, in honor at the bottom of it. It says, take delight in honoring each other. And so the one thing that every good relationship has in common is honor. And, and again, it, it would be love too, but then we're confused about what that means, and so that's but there is never a truly virtue love relationship that doesn't have honor and respect, right? In fact, if you are dating someone today and they do not respect you, run. <laughs> it's not going to get better, okay? And, and if you're in a you know, work relationship and you get no respect, you better get paid well <laughs> to make that worth it. You know, every healthy relationship has respect and honor in it. Um, there's a bunch of, several people in the church that work as guards at the Susquehanna County Correctional Facility, the, I call it the jail. Um, and if you were to ask one of them, Ed Lucas or um, Ethan Hitchcock, or there's a bunch of guys who used to work there, Nick Robbins used to work there and others, if you were to say, hey, do those inmates, have they earned your respect? What would be the answer to that? No. In fact, they've earned the exact opposite of respect, probably most, if not all of them. That's why they're there. They haven't earned any respect. But if you were to ask, hey, do they deserve your respect? The answer would be yes. Why? Because of their value. And their value isn't set by our culture. The value isn't set by the government. The value isn't set by, by their location and where they live. Their value is set by God. And every human being is made in the image of God. And so is, is a reflection or a shadow of Almighty God and deserve our respect. Now, respect does not mean obedience. <laughs> and respect does not mean, you know, trust or anything like that, but respect. And those guys who work, the, the good ones who work there, they'll tell you it, it makes a huge difference 
when you give, it hasn't been earned, you give respect to those men and at least treat them like a human being made in the image of God. Doesn't mean you trust them, doesn't mean any of that other stuff, but you give that respect to them because this is a small community and you're going to see them in the grocery store probably too. And, and you're going to have more or, or, or fewer problems depending on how you treat them respectfully or not respectfully while they're there in the prison, in the jail. And so respect is a huge thing, and, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be earned. And so what, what does respect look like? What does love look like? Well, one of the things it looks like is hating what's wrong and holding tightly to what's good. And this is where we get confused. We think love is doing what someone else wants. Sometimes. But sometimes what someone else wants is wrong and isn't good. Right? I've given this illustration before, but I remember a man called me and said, hey, my friend, we'll call him George, that wasn't his name, but my friend George, you know, he's an alcoholic, but he'd quit, but I was talking to him last night, and he was slammed. He was hammered. Could you go see him? And so I went over to see George, and I asked him, how's it going with alcohol? I'm doing really good. I'm still dry. And I said, so, you know, Charlie called me last night. Oh, <laughs> all right, so it's not going so well, and it's and I said, do you have alcohol in the house? Yes. How'd you get it? He couldn't drive. Well, my wife got it for me. And I said, why did you get it for him? Because he told me to. Isn't that what we're supposed to do, to, to love and submit to my husband? I'm like, no. It's not what love and submission is. First of all, we submit to God first. And so, if, you know, you know, if you're a kid here and your parent tells you to go kill somebody, you submit to God first. You don't do that. Right? And if your alcoholic husband tells you go get alcohol, you don't do that because you're submitting to God first. But secondly, love doesn't always give people what they want. It does what they need and what's best for them. And in, in three weeks, we're going to talk about abuse. But let me tell you, one of the best things you can do if you're in a relationship where someone is physically abusing you is to go to the police and that person goes to jail. You're like, well, how is that good for them? That is way better for them than to continue to rack up sin and judgment from God against you. And so, so hate what's wrong. That's what love does. Holds tightly to what's good. That's what love and that's what respecting other people does and honoring them does what's right. And you know what? Tonight there's a sporting event I've heard that's going to be playing and it's a lose-lose contest, a lose-win contest, excuse me, right? There's only going to be one winner. It's a lose-lose for some of you who don't like football, but um, it's a lose-win contest, right? Every point the 49ers score is a point that the, the Chiefs will have to catch up or vice versa and be behind, right? There's, there's you know, it's not going to be, everyone's not going to get a trophy tonight, okay? It's not how it works. Most of us think this is how the world is, win-lose. With God, it's always win-win. Win-win, 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 win. You do what's right, and it's best for everyone around you. You sacrifice for someone else, and not only is that best for them, but that's best for you as well. It's always win-win. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly what's good. What's wrong for someone else and what's good for someone else is also you know, something, 
it's, it's good for you, for them to obey. It's always good for everyone else, for you to obey. Um, let's go back to that, that verse. Um, yeah, genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. Here's some things I want to make sure. Love and respect, both, they, neither of them care about your feelings. And it can be given without being earned. So as, as you're driving home, and maybe you're in the car with someone, or you came with someone, and you can talk to them afterward in the service, or you're watching online, maybe you need to give someone a call, or you're watching with someone, or you're out in Hancock. After the service, here's the conversations you need to have. And maybe in your small group, conversations you need to have with people. How, here's the question, how do I show respect better to you? And then how do I feel respected? These are, these are questions we need to get to the bottom of. And, and hating what is good and delighting in what's evil. If you're dating, the Bible says sex outside of marriage is wrong. Even though 95% of people in the United States have sex before, have consensual sex before they get married, 95%, God still says it's wrong, it's sin, it's evil. And if you love someone, you're not going to do that because that's actually an act of hatred toward them. Feels real good, but it's an act of hatred and evil. And how do we know that? Because God's Word tells us true north. It tells us what's right and wrong. And, and He's the lawgiver, and, and, and He wants us to flourish in our lives, and He wants us to, 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 to just be, you know, become better. And, and often that's a road to happiness too. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says. I've come to give you life and to have it more abundantly and fully. And so we can trust Him about what is good and what is wrong and about honoring someone else, even if it's not what I feel like doing, even if it's not what they want. And so we need to show respect in different ways and um, praise. Lifting someone up, right? Lifting them up. Honoring them, give undistracted attention, excuse me, I think. Brandon Sherman, be there in 10. Why are you texting me? I'm just kidding. That was an hour ago. Um, give undistracted attention. You know, I, we would never do this with strangers, would we? Most of, well, some of you would maybe. But we do this with family and people we love. And I'm preaching this is to me as well. This is something, be on time. I'm not 100% punctual. I'm usually on time, but sometimes I'm not. What does that mean? It means my time is important and yours is not. It means I don't respect your time. And uh, that's, that's not right. Um, ask for input and consider it. There's a, a friend of mine, and uh, I've seen incredible growth in this area in his life. And, and so years ago, if you were to ask him or if you were to tell him, hey, I got this great idea, immediate, he'd, he'd be like seven reasons why that's awful. One, two, three, boom. And he just, bad. And now, sometimes he does that, but usually he's like, that's interesting. I need to think about that. He, he actually, you know, it's a much more respectful and honorable and loving way to respond, not to immediately shut, shut someone down, but to ask for input and to consider it. Actually, if you're dating here today, you need to ask for input about the person you're dating. Ask wise, godly people in your life, hey, is this person someone I should spend the rest of my life with? 
And, and if their response is, yeah, man, she's hot, they're not wise and godly, okay? <laughs> that is not the only factor that needs to be considered, all right? And, and if you find, you know, and you're, maybe, maybe it's a parent either, and maybe you're like, ah, I don't trust my parents. Find a wise, godly person. And if most of the wise, godly people in your life are saying, no, this is not a good person. Do you see what they're like with other people? Yes, they're nice to you, but do you see how they, they act toward their parents, how they act at work, and how they talk about their boss? Are you kidding me? I had a woman when I was up in Johnson City at a church there, and she was telling me about her boyfriend. I'd never met the man. And, and I said to her, I said, I've never met this guy, but from everything you've told me about him, I'm telling you, run away. He's controlling He's jealous. This is, oh, well, maybe I put it in a bad light. I'm like, you're the one who knows him, and everything you're telling me, I haven't even met the guy, and I hate him. You know, like, like this is not good. She got married anyway. It lasted less than a year. And so, so ask for input. That's how you honor other people, and then actually consider it. And then ask for forgiveness when you've done something wrong. And then even honor those who don't honor you. Again, that doesn't mean you allow people to hurt you or abuse you or things like that, but you can be respectful to someone. You know, this is true in politics. We need to speak. In fact, the Bible talks about honoring kings and those in authority. We need to speak respectfully about President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris and the whole other crew. We need to speak respectfully about Don, President Donald Trump. I think they still call him president when they're not president. Yeah, they still get that title. We need to speak respectfully, even when nobody else is. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. This is just the verse I want to close is, the purpose of my instructions, Paul's writing this to his, his perhaps most the mentor, the, the man he mentored and maybe loved the most. Timothy. He said, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. And, and that, that's the kind of life we need to live. That's the kind of relationship we need to have with others, is filled with love, not the emotion love. We Don't fake that. Don't pretend that. Um, but, but the action, the virtue love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. I want to just close um, with one of the baptism stories that you're not going to get because I know most of you aren't going to stay. But young woman, Mindy, she says, before Christ, my life was in constant chaos. I was angry, bitter, and depressed. My childhood was anything but easy, and I always felt like I wasn't good enough. And so as a young adult, I looked to others for attention and some sort of what I thought love was. And my depression and anxiety quickly ruled my life. I began to self-medicate in numerous ways to numb my feelings. I knew this was not the way life was intended to be, but I was so lost I couldn't see a way out. Time and time again, I failed, and I turned back to doing what I wanted, and my problems continued to grow. And one night, after making sure my husband and kids were safely sleeping, I sat down and thought about my life and cried. I didn't want to live anymore. And those thoughts consumed me. And I knew if I wanted change, 
I'd have to do things that I never did before and I was scared to do. If I didn't change, I was going to lose everything. And so I began to pray, but not like any time before. This time I surrendered my life to Jesus. I started picking up my Bible and looking for his words for guidance. And I quickly learned that anything I was struggling with, he had answers to. And since coming, giving my life to Christ, I began to see things differently. I have peace I've never had before. And I want to live. Although I may struggle, I know I'm never alone. And I'm continuing to grow in my faith as a wife and as a mom. And I found friends in our small group to help lift me and motivate me without judgment when I'm struggling. And I no longer let my struggles or my past define my life. In finding Jesus, I found myself and I found my purpose. Honoring and loving others, I believe, starts with honoring and loving God. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked him to forgive you, I just want to encourage you to do that today. And uh, I invite you forward. We're going to sing a song to close. And, and as we sing that song, you're, you're free to just come to the front. Maybe you have something else going on. Maybe you want to pray for a family member. Please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Um, but if you need to get right with God, don't leave here without doing that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that while we were still sinners, you loved us. Ask that you would help us to love others in our lives, including the difficult people and uh, the people that maybe don't deserve our honor, don't deserve our respect, don't deserve, don't, haven't earned our respect and haven't earned our love. God, help us to love them anyway and to stop pretending and to actually in actions and in words, love those you've put around us. And most of all, God, help us to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.